بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم صلى الله عليك يا أبا عبد الله Continuing our discussion on those events that one after another led to Ashura taking place in those 50 years after the Holy Prophet's demise, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we reached the assassination of Uthman, the third Khalifa. We talked about how that was the turning point after which things are just going to go downhill very fast and are going to snowball towards Ashura taking place. And when I say Ashura taking place, meaning when, that the Bani Umayyah eventually are able to have a 100% grip on the power over the Muslimin, which eventually will result in Ashura taking place. And inshallah, we'll get to that point as well of, how, uh, of what happened right before Ashura and those last stages as well we'll get to inshallah. But for now, we are speaking about the assassination of Uthman and how after that, um, you don't want to be Khalifa anymore. <laughs> Things changed for the worst, brothers and sisters. The first Khalifa came and went. The second came and went. The third one came and went. But if a person is going to be Khalifa after the third one was assassinated, it's going to be a problem. So after the death of the third Khalifa, those who had were involved in revolting against the third Khalifa, they wanted to make sure that they are not going to go back to their homes until someone that they believe should be Khalifa is chosen. And then after that's taken care of, they go back. And so here the people, they everyone knew unanimously that look, we need Ali ibn Abi Talib. And Ali ibn Abi Talib had shown, um, not just shown, but we see how the people trusted him that when they want to discuss and they want to negotiate with the third Khalifa, they, go, they do such through Ali ibn Abi Talib. That means that shows how much trust they had in him. So these people, they surround Ali السلام, and they say that you have to be Khalifa to Muslimin. And others as well come around him like the Sahaba, the Muhajirin, the Ansar. Long story short, although Ali السلام, himself didn't want to accept, everyone knows this, didn't want to accept or made it seem like he doesn't want to accept, at least let's say it like that, because he knows what he's getting himself into, and he knows that once he comes to power, things are going to be different. They're not going to be like the time of the third Khalifa. Since he knows all of this, yes, he makes it clear to the people that if you want me to be Khalifa, you have to concede to my demands, my way of doing things. And so the people, of course, are okay with that. And that is why they're after him. They know that with him will come a lot of justice. And so the Muhajireen, the Ansar, those people from the different regions of Muslim Ummah and Muslim Empire, they come, they give their bay'ah. Talha, Zubair, the grand Sahaba that are left like them, they give their bay'ah to Imam Ali as well. So this is what happens. Now, here someone will say, okay, oh Shia, you, uh, you were crying for all these years, for 25 years after the Holy Prophet crying about how uh, Imam Ali should have been third, the, the, the Khalifa of 
Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa Alright, let's see what he's going to do now. Let's see if everything becomes the utopia that you say it would have been if Ali was Khalifa from the beginning. But here the Shia will give an answer. And that it says, it, they'll say, look, after the assassination of Uthman, being Khalifa is not the same as being Khalifa before his assassination. Yes, if for example, <coughs> that six-person council that the second Khalifa put together, if they had chosen Ali, it would have been different than becoming Khalifa after assassination of Uthman. If the first Khalifa had chosen Ali ibn Abi Talib as his successor, things would have been different. If the first Khalifa, instead of staying as Khalifa to Muslimin, as a result of that faltah that took place, he had said, look, it was a faltah, we just did that so Quraysh can stay in power because that's what the Prophet ﷺ wants. But the person that's supposed to be Khalifa is Ali ﷺ, here you go Ali. If any of these had happened, yes, things would have been, we believe, would have been much different. Ashura wouldn't have taken place later to fix things, try to fix things up. Yeah? But the thing is that none of that happened. Becoming Khalifa after is not the same as becoming Khalifa before the assassination of Uthman. So it's a lose-lose situation now. Why? After the third Khalifa, if the third Khalifa is not going to get assassinated, okay? If the third Khalifa is not going to get assassinated, he's going to die a normal death. We believe that there were so many of the Bani Umayyah now in power and there was so much going on in their favor that they would know with Ali coming, yes, everything's, there's going to be uh, Ali's arrival and Ali's appointment as Khalifa equals the end of all of the good stuff that's happening for them. They wouldn't have let it happen. We believe that they would not have let it happen if Uthman was not assassinated. So I'm going to change actually the statement that I've been making and instead of saying becoming Khalifa after the assassination of Uthman is not the same as being before Uthman's assassination, I want to go a step further. That yes, it's true, becoming Khalifa after the assassination of Uthman, yeah, is not the same than before. But even if he wasn't going to get assassinated, what would have happened? Ali probably would not have become Khalifa even. So being Khalifa after Uthman even if he's not assassinated, is, gonna, is, pro is problematic. Why? Because it probably won't even happen. So what do we have? We have either Uthman gets assassinated or he doesn't. If he gets assassinated, becoming Khalifa after him is not going to fix anything that much. And we'll see what I mean by that in the battles of Jamal and Safin and Nahrawan. Becoming Khalifa, if Uthman doesn't get assassinated, is not even a possibility, they say. Because there are so many people whose interests lie in the fact that Banu Umayyah have to remain in power that they won't let Ali get chosen. They will influence the third Khalifa to the point that he will appoint someone else after him. Maybe Muawiyah after him. Maybe somebody else after him. We don't know. So all in all, it's all lose, brothers and sisters. Lose-lose situation we have here. Okay, so this idea of, oh Shia, now let's see what happened. Oh, look at that. Three major civil battles took place amongst the Muslimin. So what are you talking about? Ali being Khalifa equals utopia. Well, that's after the assassination of the third Khalifa, brothers and sisters. This is something very important to keep in mind and that's why we keep referring to his assassination as a turning point. All right, now, Battle of Jamal. Let's talk about this next event, this huge 
and very significant event that is in this timeline of events that lead up to Ashura and contribute to Ashura taking place even if it wasn't deliberately done um, deliberately the battle of Jamal didn't take place for Ashura to take place but it is one of those contributing events nonetheless what I want to just like the assassination of Uthman I gave you two versions of the story I also want to share with you two versions of this story um, and to get an idea of how the different schools might look at this once again we have three opinions we have the Shi'i version that mainstream Tashayyu and Shi'ism believes in based on the books of history and, and, and being analytical of the, when it comes to these sources and books some scholars of Ahlus Sunnah as well will agree but there will be a lot of them who will have another version and especially the ones who are followers of the school of Ibn Taymiyyah they will have another version of the story that I also want to share with you okay so the Shi'i version or the version that the Shi'i school believes in and usually you'll find others will also believe in um, is that I'm trying to be very careful with my words by the way when I say usually others um, that might not be very accurate maybe some maybe 50% maybe 40% maybe 30% we don't I don't know I haven't looked into it but you'll find that there are some who also look at it like this that um, that Aisha and Talha and other Sahaba also they had issues with the third Khalifa and if you remember yesterday I said that I'll share with you something about Aisha towards and, and in regards to the third Khalifa and how she looked at him um, I want to share with you uh, some uh, some history here, and that is from Tariq al Yaqubi again. Uh, and there might be other sources too that have this incident and the likes of it as well. That it says, There was a problem between these two, they didn't like each other. Umar used to give um, a, big, a higher stipend to Aisha as the wife of the Prophet, one of the wives of the Prophet and one of the Ummul Mu'mineen that they call, that, that, that the Qur'an calls them he would give her a higher stipend when Uthman came to power for whatever reason it is he decreased that and apparently made it the same as the rest he started paying her the same stipend he was paying the other uh, wives of the Prophet فَإِنَّ عُثْمَانِ يَوْمًا لَيَخْطُبُ The Uthman was delivering a khutbah once and then إِذْدَلَّتْ عَائِشَ قَمِيسَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَنَادَتْ يَا مَعْشَرَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Aisha comes out with the uh, shirt of the Holy Prophet. She says, Oh Muslims, what's going on? This is the shirt of Rasulullah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ it has not disintegrated yet. It's still here. We see it. But Uthman has destroyed the sunnah of the Rasulullah, of, of Rasulullah So this is his shirt. It's still here. But his sunnah is gone. If you remember, one of those things I mentioned that led up to the assassination of the third Khalifa was the fact that the laws of God and the sunnah of Rasulullah was being trampled. And so this is also Aisha here, according to this account, of course. Uh, very upset with the, with the third Khalifa. Or in other places it says that she got very angry with him and she says, اُقْتُلُوا نَعْثَلًا Kill this na'thal, which is a derogatory term. Um, like means like kind of like old Yahudi person or something. Or they might have other definitions too. 
But it's derogatory at the end of the day. Now, of course, once again, this is an account that we have in the books, more than one book. But it, of course, will be dismissed by others because um, the way they see it is that there was only love amongst all of these Sahaba and wives of the Prophet. So these people, they had an issue with Uthman. Going back to our account of, of the Battle of Jamal, they had issues, but they also had issues with Ali. At least Aisha had issues with Ali as well. It wasn't all rosy there either, the relationship between the two. And so when she finds out that Ali has become Khalifa, because she was, she was in Mecca performing Hajj, when she finds out that Ali has become Khalifa, she doesn't even come back to Medina, she goes straight for Basra. She goes straight for Basra. Talha, Zubair, who had given bay'ah to Ali salam, also they apparently didn't get what they wanted out of Ali ibn Abi Talib. They had expectations. And they didn't get those, those expectations were not met by Ali because Ali didn't feel like he needs to meet those expectations. Especially since they had to do with power, governorship, and even maybe wealth of the Baytul Mal. Um, and so Ali says, no, he does not answer there and, sat, and, 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 and meet their expectations. And so they also get up and go towards Basra. Now, they're going, but why are they going? What is the on, on a pretext for all of this? And mobilization of troops now in Basra, putting together an army, and then attacking the governor that Ali ibn Abi Talib has put there. Uthman bin Hunayf and these people. What's going on? Yeah, before you know it, we have this army in Basra. And people's lives are, are being lost and people are getting killed here. I don't want to get into these details. The Battle of Jamal, by the way, is something that we have lectures on and we have literature on. Brothers and sisters can go, they can Google that, they can watch it on YouTube, they can you know, pull up books that have spoken about these events um, to get an idea of what the details are. I'm trying to you know, connect dots here so that we can get to Ashura. So these are the aspects, and maybe sometimes, you know, talk about the different versions of these stories that are not mentioned in the conventional lectures that are out there. Right? That's what I'm trying to do, trying to fill in some gaps and try to address certain things that are not usually addressed. That's what I'm trying to do. So this is happening, and uh, when they're there, there are lots of horrible things that happen that I'm not gonna get into. The, the treasury is looted, and uh, people are killed, and the governor of of, of uh, Basra, um, the one that Ali ibn Abi Talib had appointed, they, they take him prisoner, they pluck all of his beard out, his eyebrows out and so on. These are things that not just the Shia say, there are, some, there are Sunni scholars who also speak of this. And they are, these, are, these are dark points of history. Um, of course, others will totally dismiss all of these details as well. And, and I'll get to that part. But yeah, so now Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, he sees that this is, not, uh, this is not acceptable. He comes out of Medina as well comes to, uh, and, and through Kufa and gathering an army mostly from Kufa, he comes towards Basra and, and, and so these armies meet and the battle ensues and these people are not giving up. Ashabul Jamal, the people on the side of Aisha and the camel of Aisha, they're not giving up either. And so they're fighting to the last breath. I think I read somewhere 70 people would take the reins of the camel one after another as if this is the standard of their, of their army. And so each of them would lose their life, the next one would take it, up to 70 people. But eventually the army of Jamal is defeated, Talha is killed, Zubair is killed, there are details about that as well. There are different opinions on this. Um, even with Talha, once again we have the name of Marwan all of a sudden come up. 
And uh, if you look at this up, you'll find that they say that it is Ushtuhira, at least, that it is famously known that Marwan was the one who shot an arrow, although Marwan was on their side. But Marwan shot an arrow at Talha and killed him. As I said before, Al-Mulku Aqeemun. Anyway, um, but that is also dismissed by others as well. But that's not the point right now. They don't give up, but eventually they're defeated. And so there isn't much love between these two armies, brothers and sisters. If you look at Nahj al-Balagha, the, the first maybe 20 khutbas, among these khutbas, maybe five or six of them are about Ashab al-Jamal. And Imam Ali is speaking about the army of Basra, including Talha, Zubair, and all of them. And you can tell there is not too much love between them. I say this for a reason because when we look at the other versions of this story, it's the exact opposite you find. Everyone loves each other as if, uh, it seems. So let's move on to that other version of the story. Before I go to that, there's one more point here I have to make, and that is that although <clears throat> all of this took place and it was wrong and it was a mistake and all of that, and we'll talk about that too later, there's one thing we have to keep in mind. In Nahj al-Balagha, Imam Ali speaks about how about Aisha. And he says, after the battle of Jaman, he says, Laha hurmatu, ula. We're going to still keep her respect. And he respectfully sends her back to Medina. Yes, and this is something to keep in mind as well, the Shia brothers and sisters out there um, who might be critical of the Battle of Jamal and those who were behind it and orchestrated it. Still, the Imam, he says, look, we fought, but respect, we'll keep the respect. She is, at the end of the day, she is associated with the Holy Prophet The respect has to be kept. And so he sends her back respectfully. And there are details on how he sends her back that I'm skipping because these have been addressed elsewhere as well. We don't need to talk about that. But let's talk about the other version of this, of this, of this story now. Um, I'm going to share with you just a few answers that are given to some people who have asked about this from those who are uh, affiliated with the school of Ibn Taymiyyah. Um, the answers that are given regarding the battle of Jamal. So the question will be, okay, um, what are we supposed to respond to those people who call out those who were behind the battle of Jamal? These ashab of Rasulullah What are we supposed to answer? So this person is asking this question. And you'll find the answer to be as such. And you'll find this a lot of places. The answer shows that there is another version to this story. So the answer is this, they say what is better is to, and I'm reading off of this, I, it's in Arabic though, but I'm just translating. What is better to do in cases like these is to just stay away, al-imsak, to refrain and stay away from what took, took place between the Sahaba altogether. If there's a fitna that happens between the Sahaba, whether it's in the battle of Jamal, battle of Sufin, even maybe the assassination of Uthman for those who believe that there were some Sahaba involved. In all of these cases, to stay away from the discussion altogether. And to be happy with all of them. And to believe they were all trying their best in their pursuit of the truth. Those of them who actually got it right will get two rewards, ajran, while those of them who were mistaken get only one reward, ajrun wahid, because at least they tried and they were after the truth. In other words, what's for sure is that everyone is after the truth. No one has any ill intentions. And so since everyone's after the truth, some get it right, some get it wrong, but they were both after the truth, so Allah's going to reward them for that at least. Alright, but you didn't give the answer yet. 
What's your version of this story? Because that's what the question is about. What are we supposed to do when it comes to having an answer to those who will call out those who were behind the battle of Jamal? Those who caused it. Regarding the battle of Jamal in particular, it says, a number of scholars have explained how Aisha did what she did for the good of the Muslims. Lil maslaha. Okay. And she wasn't after war. And it was the criminals involved in the assassination of Uthman and their allies who caused the battle to break out when the two armies met. Okay, so there are two armies then, yes. They came together and they're discussing amongst each other and they're like, you know what, looks like we're not supposed to fight each other because all is well. I mean, there is no problem, yes. And so this is what this, is what this version of the story says. It says that they actually... They got along and they came to an agreement on what to do moving forward and everything was about to go well. But then those same ones who were involved in the assassination of Uthman, overnight they did something and these two armies now are at each other's throats the next day and all of that bloodshed and thousands and thousands of people dying was the result and outcome of it. So it says their allies, the, the, the assassination of Uthman and their allies who caused the battle to break out when the two armies met, each army thinking it was the other that has deceived or betrayed them. So something, there was a conspiracy that happened overnight and people are killed from each side apparently or whatever it was. And so now they're like, oh, you killed us. They say, no, you killed us. And that's it. It's all over now. Everything just snowballs now. And so this is why Al-Dahabi says in his Siyar A'lam al-Nubala, and of course Dahabi is from the school of Ibn Taymiyyah as well. He says, without a doubt, Aisha was absolutely regretful of her departure to Basra and her presence in the battle of Jamal. She did not think things would reach the point that they did. Yeah. So this is the other version, brothers and sisters. The thing is though, what good are we talking about here? Which maslaha? Because they say, because this is also this maslaha and this expediency, this good, this greater good is also what, they, what will be used as an excuse to answer the question about the verse of the Qur'an that tells the wives of the Prophet to وَقَرْنَا فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ يَا نِسَاءَ النَّبِي لَسْتُنَّ كَأَحَدٍ You're not like any other women. You're not like other women out there. إِنِتَّقَيْتُنَّ If you have taqwa and you obey God. Yes, the, and the verse reaches the point where it says وَقَرْنَا The verses they talk about how قَرْنَا فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ Stay in your homes. Don't come out of your homes. So some people have used this verse to also say, why did she leave? Why, would, why did she do what she did when the Qur'an is telling her to stay? The answer that is given is this. Is that, yes, in normal circumstances, they're supposed to stay home. But in situations like this, where the maslaha of the ummah is at stake, the greater good, yes, is at stake, then they have to actually come out. Yes, I've seen that, that some of these shaykhs, they say this to the Shia in response. They say, yeah, don't use this verse. Because this verse is talking about normal circumstances. But when the, when the going gets tough and rough and the greater good is in, is in danger, they have to do it. It's their obligation. And she felt that it's her obligation. And you know, they'll even go this far, brothers and sisters. They'll say, Fatima Zahra even. You say, oh Shia, she was knocking on the doors of the Ansar and Muhajireen trying to get, you know, try to wake them up. And so to, to, to stand against this bay'ah that took place in Saqifah, you say that she came out too. 
because there was a greater good, we also say that this was the discretion of Aisha, that there's a greater good out there at stake, and that's why she, it was she felt that it was wajib on her to go, but she didn't know things were going to come to this point of bloodshed. And so later, Nadimat, she was regretful of this, but she was after that greater good. But brothers and sisters, this is the part where the Shia will, the Shia will ask this question. They'll say, what good? Is there not a Khalifatul Muslimin in charge? Yes, there is a Khalifatul Muslimin in charge. And he's taking care of everything. That is, the, that is the whole point of a Khalifa. And if he sees that something should not be, a, should be let go, then everyone has to follow suit. What is this? This is the sunnah of the first three Khalifas as well. That they will make decisions that not everyone might understand the reason for. But the people will follow suit. They will follow suit. They will do what they need to do. We have so many cases like this in the 25 years of the first three Khalifas when they were in charge and they were in power. Where people, they might have a different opinion but they will keep quiet. Because the Khalifa makes the decision. This is how it's supposed to be. Even in secular uh, environments and in secular circumstances and contexts of today, you'll find that at the end of the day, the president, no matter how off he might be, the, vi the, the, the uh, prime minister of a country, no matter how off he or she may be, once they make that decision, everyone has to follow, right? It's not like people are going to undermine them and not let them make that decision. No, at the end of the day, you are the president, you're the prime minister, you make the decision. It is, in, it is for the greater good for us to follow you, actually, even if we might disagree with you. This is a, a rule everywhere, and it's kind of common sense. So what good are we talking about here? Everyone has their perception of what is the greater good, Right? And so that is the point of a Khalifa. Or else this way every Sahabi, every wife of the Prophet can make a decision on their own and say, I felt it was in the interest and the greater good of the Muslimin. That's, that, 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 is, that just does not read with the idea and concept of Khilafa, especially the idea and concept of Khilafa that we have learned in the 25 years before Ali ibn Abi Talib becoming Khalifa. Yes, so here this greater good is not, I, uh, the Shia will, will really, they will question that, number one. Number two, that regret, being regretful is not going to be enough. Thousands of people have lost their lives in the battle of Jaman. Yes, so much life, so much energy has been lost, so much wealth has been lost as a result of this. And so that is also a big problem. This is why you have a Khalifa to begin with. The least is that we can say that it was, it was wrong. And now you will find here that the shaykhs, some of the shaykhs of other schools of thought will say that yes, it was a mistake. But this does not hurt her religiosity. And you're not allowed to uh, say that, okay, she was on the wrong path or is on the wrong path. Okay, and that is, uh, that is an opinion that others will have. And um, we, we are, we, we, we're not going to say anything about that. But the point here right now, which is relevant, is this mistake happened in the Muslim Ummah again. Another mistake took place. And so even if we concede that there was a greater good, even if we concede that she was regretful and she asked Allah for forgiveness and all of that, there's one big problem that whether we like it or not, takes place. There's one problem here that happens that is going to also change history 
uh, and Islamic history after it for a very, very long time. And that is the role this mistake that everyone is acknowledging was a mistake now, the role this mistake plays in our timeline, our 50-year timeline leading up to Ashura. What role is that? For 25 years of the Khilafah, of the thir first three Khalifas, never did you have another Sahabi, another wife of the Prophet standing up against Khalifatul Muslimin. You didn't have that. That was something that, had, that the Khilafah had that much sanctity, at least, that there weren't going to be two battles. Yeah, you will have people who are now, they call them rioters, they call them revolutionaries, whatever they call them, who come and do something wrong and go and assassinate the third Khalifa. That's one thing. But to have a systematic revolt where you go and you gather an army against the army of the Muslimin led by the Khalifa, this is something that is unprecedented. And this is very, very significant. Of course, all of this is happening because they're saying, why did Uthman get killed? We want the killers of Uthman. That's why that, the assassination of Uthman is that turning point, brothers and sisters. The battle of Jamal, yes, at least according to the version, the non-Shia version of the story that some uh, scholars of the Sunni school have, some, not all, is that they wanted the killers of Uthman. From here on, brothers and sisters, because the battle of Jamal took place, we learn that if you have some Sahaba on one side, they can stand up against another Sahabi that is Khalifatul Muslimin. Under what pretext? Under the pretext of we want the killers of Uthman. That's what we want. Even if they're not after fighting, but they can, they can put together an army. They can put together an army and stand in the face of the Khalifa and say, hey, we have a problem. Yeah, even that should not be acceptable, brothers and sisters. But now it is acceptable if you have Sahaba on both sides. Now, here Ali ibn Abi Talib, after the battle, he has prisoners, he lets them go. He says, I know people might have been confused. Yes, and so they see Sahaba on this side, Sahaba on that side. Yeah, but here you have to have learned a lesson. A lesson should have been learned by the Muslimin that this should not be repeated if it was a mistake. And the blood of Uthman being used as a pretext for such is a mistake, then at least this mistake should not be repeated. But the Battle of Jamal taught us that it's okay. It's not, it, the ice has been broken now. And so this is why we believe that this leads to the next battle to take place. So, that is one version of the story as well. That they were not after fighting. And this is where someone else is brought into the picture, and I'll end after I explain this. The same Abdullah bin Sabah that showed up magically in and was able to get everyone mobilized across the Muslim empire against the Khalifa and assassinate the Khalifa and the Sahaba were nowhere to be found. Yes, some of them had gone for Hajj, but not all of them were Hajj. Ali ibn Abi Talib is there and all of this, still assassination of Uthman takes place. Once again, we find that Abdullah bin Sabah is related and spoken of in the battle of Jamal. And they say that it's those ones who assassinated Uthman 
who came and again caused all of this. I left this for the end. I know that when I read the quote over there in the, in the non-Shia version of the story, I did share that with you, that they say that it was the same ones that assassinated Uthman and their allies. But you find the name is also brought up. Abdullah bin Sabah and his followers were the ones who caused the armies to fight, although they didn't want to fight each other. Brothers and sisters, for me personally, it is, I have to say this, that it is very convenient that wherever the rules and principles that we have for the companions of Rasulullah when we have these rules and they don't allow us to accept certain things taking place in history, it is so convenient to always have an Abdullah bin Sabah that we can fall back on and put all the blame on him. Yeah, there was this one guy that caused all of these issues. We can't understand and we can't accept and digest the fact that yeah, these people were human beings at the end of the day, were human beings and they they had some grudges, they had some issues and they wanted Khilafah maybe and they wanted certain things. And so they, they had a battle with each other. It's hard for us to accept this and so we'll say no, 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 they were not after fighting each other. And there was a person by the name of Abdullah bin Sabah and he's the one who got who did what he did. He's the one who made sure that this battle takes place and all the blood is shed. Yeah, that is the individual we can always put the blame on. But as I said before, this is something that the Shi'i school really does not take very seriously um, and really looks at it as a myth more than anything else. Even if, and I want to add this as well, even if it was true that Abdullah bin Sabah was involved in all of this, if the people know the Sahaba, they know that Abdullah bin Sabah was the one who was involved in the assassination of the third Khalifa, then they better make sure to uproot this person so that he can't make the, push the Muslim Ummah into another hole. And that is the Battle of Jamal. Yes? So in the end, brothers and sisters, these grand Sahaba, they had to have stepped up and taken care of the Ummah. But instead we find that the Battle of Jamal takes place and another one of those events that as a result of it, Bani Umayyah come to power, yes, has taken place. And that is the Battle of Jamal. The next up that we have, the next event up is the Battle of Sufin. Yes, someone might look at the Battle of Jamal and say, what does that have to do with Bani Umayyah coming to power? Yes, when we look at it isolated, it has nothing to do with Bani Umayyah. Maybe, there are details that I have skipped, of course. But, but, if you look at it, and put it in that context, in that timeline, you'll find, oh, that is one of those things that broke the sanctity of Khilafah and allowed an army to come together against the Khalifa. As a result, the Battle of Safin is now justified and take place. Our next event will be the Battle of Safin. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu ala al-Husayn wa ala Ali ibn al-Husayn wa ala awlad al-Husayni wa ala ashab al-Husayn.